Welcome to The Art of Growth. This is Jim Zartman, and today Joel Hubbard and I are talking about diversity. And this is a very hot topic in communities and workplaces and churches. But what we're noticing is in each one of these environments, what people mean by diversity is pretty limited. It's not very diverse. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we jump into the episode, you can go to theartofgrowth.org to take our free Enneagram test, instincts test, or explore what it would look like for us to work with your organization on personality using the Enneagram or communication, which is a big one we're working on right now. All of that is at theartofgrowth.org, and we're happy to answer questions if you email us. But for now, let's go ahead and jump into this episode, and there will actually be another episode later this week. Let's go. So we've been talking about a culture of, with different aspects of, of work culture, and we've been talking about responsibility and trust and empathy. And so we want to talk a little bit about a culture of diversity and inclusion. And most companies have done some kind of a DEIC, as they call it. Uh, Some human resources departments have people on staff that their entire job is around diversity, equity, inclusion. And They are fighting for some really good things. They are trying to bring awareness to some things that people weren't really talking about 20, 30 years ago uh, and even more recent or aren't talking about in some places, which is awareness of that people come from very different backgrounds. In our culture, they're talking a lot about, you know, race uh, or ethnicity or culture or sexual orientation or factors like that. And those are all really important, but I feel like there's enough people talking about those So we're going to look at it from a very different perspective because what we've seen in a lack of diversity is a very different category than what is typically talked about when people are talking about the DEIC. Mm. Well, and we've actually coached teams where big into the DEIC model and program and have done so much in that space, and yet they end up hiring very similar personality types Mm -hmm. uh, onto their team. And we've said, well, that's interesting. (laughs) You have diversity from these other factors, yeah, but you did, you've got some blind spots when it comes to this this area. And there are people, they look like you in terms of the personality. And so, you, you know, we're biased to hire people. And that happens all the time. We are biased towards certain personality types yep. for whatever reasons, you know. It's yeah. like similar to mom and dad, maybe completely the opposite of mom and dad, or within the range, like they're not too, too far away from my personality type. Mm-hmm. And or they work like me. They have the same work values I do. And yeah. so I love these people. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is you get diversity in one area, but you didn't have the diversity in another area. And so how can we improve in this way to continue pushing the growth, the area of growth in diversity, equity, inclusion, because that is so important, is to have different voices, different perspectives, regularly speaking together, uh, working together, because I think we get our best products when we're collaborating and working that way. Yeah, and I think that's often missed. I've heard diversity and inclusion talked about from a almost like a social justice issue. Mm -hmm. But they're missing the fact that if companies are really investing in this because it is, if without it, there is a lack of innovation. So there are scientists that were literally talking about hiring and they said, you have to hire people that put the ketchup in different places. Hmm. So, you know, if you grew up in a predominantly like white suburban American home, they put the ketchup in the refrigerator. But if you grew up in a, a, a lot of other cultures, it's in the cupboard. It's in the shelf 
because it doesn't need to be refrigerated. But there's a culture difference. So they, they were using that as analogy. You have to have someone who grew up with a very different culture to actually be able to see something different enough to create the innovation. Mm. And so the heart behind diversity is spot on. You need productivity. You need innovation. You need to be able to look at things in ways that you didn't look at them before. You need these really radically different perspectives. But I think where the train has gotten a little off the tracks is it wasn't in the realms that actually matter the most. So highly action-oriented teams weren't necessarily relating super well to highly people-centric, emotionally uh, aware individuals. You, you can have these very different approaches to values. And uh, like we were talking about with trust, you can have those that are actually missing even when everybody comes from a different part of the world. Because we've coached in, I think, every continent at yeah, this we point, have. at least, yeah. teams in all these different continents. And Enneagram types are consistent. They're consistent. We see them <laughs> yeah. literally yeah. globally. Yeah. And we ask the same kinds of questions and the experiences are, and, and we talked about this in another podcast, but it seemed like as humans were developing and language was developing, that personalities emerged as a way to communicate and thrive in different communities. And so that makes sense. But some of these teams are actually missing in a performance way because they do not have some of the diversity of personality that is required for innovation. Yeah. The interesting thing about a particular book uh, that I read some some time ago talked about the range, like how many different experiences have you had individually, mm. personally, and that when you show up in a different context or environment, that those skills can contribute to innovation. Even athletes that were formerly not in a particular sport, they had played a different sport altogether for years, then came into a completely new one and reinvented that sport and performed at a higher level. Mm. There's this whole thing of, you know, mixed martial arts. Oh, and yeah. it's the mixing of these different arts that actually produces the best martial artists or the best combat fighters in the world. Which, okay, so I don't want to go too far down this, but a lot of people are familiar with the largest fighting organization in the world, the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship that started in the early 90s by the Gracie family, who are the founders of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And always in the martial art world before that, it has which style is the best? That was the question. Which culture has produced the best martial art? And the UFC started as a way for them to show we have. And they did for the first four in a row. But then everyone started learning what they were learning. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, you started having these well-rounded fighters. And the fighters of today could destroy pretty much anyone in those early UFCs because the skill is so different. I watch those now and I'm just like, can they not figure out how to get out of mount? Can they not figure out how to get out of side control? You're just in the guard. You just have to break the guard. Like, this is not complicated to me. And sorry, I just used all that lingo there for people who are not, <laughs> have never trained in combat sports. But this is, you know, something interesting to me. But the reason the fighters are so good now is because of the integration of styles, because the question no longer became which style is the best, which aspects of every single style can be brought together to produce. Mm -hmm the best combination. 
that is really what diversity does when it's done right. When it's integrated. Yes. You know, it's the, the integration within our own self, the different parts of ourselves as we learn to integrate those. And then we learn to also work well with others. And when we do so, then there is a, a broader range of skills that are brought to bear. And we are better as a result of that. So I think that to your point about diversity has to be also around personality types is massively important. But then it follows up with a question that is, but doesn't that produce more tension or more conflict or more, doesn't it slow the process down? And there have been studies around monocultures working together and the efficiency around that versus diverse cultures. And when they're together, what can happen? And so it is, yeah, it's easier to work with people that are exactly like you, for sure. Yeah. But does it bring out the best? And do you grow and I think that, that we're short-sighted when we think that, well, it, it's easier. It is easier now, but what if you were able to grow? Yes. <laughs> like, what would that look like? And would that be as difficult then? Or would you find it actually more enriching and the process more enriching for yourself? Because yes. I think we rob ourselves when we don't do this stuff. 100%. So this actually came up with a company I was training where they had uh, moved from their 2,000 square foot facility and it was a medical into like this 10,000 foot facility and they were expanding this practice. And I typed the team and every single person on the team was a three, a seven, or an eight. Oh, wow. The entire team. Wow. And they were saying, oh, this is, this is a problem. You know, we don't have any of this diversity. And we talked about it, but they were kind of like, but if we brought this person on and we had this person here who was this other type for a while and it didn't work out because we were going at this pace. And I was like, you know, it's okay if you need to be at that pace for now, you will reach the point and we'll get to this one when we talk about the one on hunters and farmers, but we, you will get to the point where you need the stable structures, but right now you're trying to hit speed. And so this is okay for a time. There will be a come a time that this does not work anymore Yeah, because you will need more structures or eventually this whole team will end up burning, <laughs> burning yeah. out. But right now you're enjoying the pace of this. Okay. It just depends what you're going for. Are you trying to go f like fast and quick and nimble and niche? Or are you trying to become, you know, broad, expansive, global? What's the goal? Yeah. And the goal determines where you are sometimes at that particular point in time. That's right. And that's why this is a very complex subject. We're certainly not assuming that we're covering, you know, every every nuance of this. What we're trying to say is even if you are a type three, seven, and eight organization right now, yeah. you know, even in that situation, if you're not listening and bringing in the different voices into your decision-making process, you're going to create a product that works well for three sevens and eights. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, so regardless of whether it's that or a team of all various types, you're still having to do the work of, are we listening well and are we integrating what we're hearing? And that is a much more difficult practice initially. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is you can go easy and then do that for a long time, which is basically hiring people that are comfortable for you and working alongside of those people for a while. And you can do that and that's easy. But you're not going to produce at the at the higher levels, and you're not going to feel enriched yourself as a human being. You're not going to learn and grow, and that really is exciting when that's happening. When you're growing internally, plus the organization's growing, that's the win 
to me. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins in that situation. So how do you do that? How do you move into more practices around, you know, having the diversity of types, personality types around you? Do you just throw money at it? You hire it? <laughs> you know, some people say, well, just hire them. But then if you hire them, are you forcing them to, you know, without even realizing it, are they still being pigeonholed into your particular rigid culture that is your personality type? Well, I think that's one of the things that we've seen, and we've seen this in a few different companies where they realized they didn't have enough or they didn't have these other personalities on the team. And so they did, they hired it out, but that person felt like they didn't fit in with the team. Yeah, yeah. And then they felt like, well, I'm in the wrong place. Yeah. I don't know how to solve that yet. I think there's there's going to be a learning curve for this, but I think we're trying to give a different spin on this because there is going to be a steep learning curve around a lot of this. I think there are practical things, obviously, we can do now, but that just throwing money at and just throwing and hiring one person who is of a different personality type, you know, who's process-oriented, detail, and likes to slow down and create the order and all that stuff. And they walk into a team of high-paced, fast-moving, quick decision-making people, there's going to be friction. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think part of the solve to that is uh, is some things that we offer, which are you know, the workshops that we do help yep. build that empathy because it's, you know, yeah, what we've talked about in the previous episodes on the culture of, these are all things that help with that process. So culture of empathy, well, then mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you're learning to really listen well. Uh, I think these are things that can help to bring about changes within yourself as you, we've never had a type eight in our organization. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a company that we've worked with that actually have no eights mm-hmm. that we know of and in, We've typed quite a few in that in that uh, organization. So I was just working with a company, and there's not one type three in the entire leadership team. Wow. And I was like, "That's a pretty strange." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, the ten person team, not yeah. one three. Yeah, so it's it, yeah. again. You have it's very rare to, to for certain elements to be missing, but then on certain kinds of teams, it's very rare for the certain type to be present. Yeah, but I've watched this team start to hire types they haven't had on their team. And now we're working on how do we integrate them more? Mm-hmm. And some of the workshops that we'll be doing will will help with that. Yeah. And so really, it's it's about learning. Like, who are you? Yeah. Can I see the world from your eyes? And when I can, then I can start to see. We say that all nine types are present within us. Mm-hmm. It's just that we have, we lead with one far more than the others. And so yeah. that's our type. What happens when you work with a type that you've never worked with? Yes is it activates that within you. Mm. And so you start to recognize, oh, yes, there are times when I do want to be like direct and say what I think and yeah. have boundaries, but I've never been able to pull it off. And now I've got an eight in front of me and I'm interacting with them and they're calling that out of me just by their presence. And now I feel like I, maybe I can try that on. Yeah. See what that would look like. You yeah. know? And they, you start to experiment with that. Um, so I think that that's the beauty of of real integration around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes, it's someone else who's so different than you gives you access to a part of yourself you had not yet accessed. Yeah, and I think that is really beautiful. And this is going to be an ongoing learning curve because this one is sort of a frame that so many other things that 
we do operate underneath. So a lot of times when companies do multiple sessions with us, they'll do like Enneagram foundations. Oh, there's these different types on the team and people think really differently. And then they'll do, we'll do like the uh, one on communication and like, oh, this is how to communicate and talk with someone who does not think like you, does not process like you. And we'll do one on trust, you know, that they understand how to build trust and where trust is lost with these different types. All of this builds towards greater diversity. Yeah. But this is an aspect of it that we wanted to bring up and share about because it's, I think, one that is not often included in the conversation. And the one blog I wrote about this was, you know, in diversity is only skin deep because it's like, it has to be a larger context that we're talking about if we're going to create things that connect with people really, really different than the world we grew up in. Yeah. Absolutely. It's making space for more than the superficial diversity, but that there's cultural diversity. There's depth of diversity from our experiences growing up. And however, whatever ways that we were welcomed, that we were not welcomed, that parts Mm. of us were loved and parts of us were not loved, all that creates who we are, creates our unique expression of ourselves and uh, and in some sense, our own culture. Mm. And so it is more than just, oh, look, We've got the quotas. Oh, look, we've hit the numbers that we were trying to achieve. And how much real integration is there in a team, in an organization? Yeah, because when you meet with an older leader who has been around for a really long time and they they were really good at it, what I have found is they have been forced to be around every kind of person throughout the course of their life. And that variety has produced someone that can access a far greater range of options of reactions and power to respond than someone who's really new, who's only put people around them that are similar to them. Yeah. And I think ultimately the the power to respond and have this variety of options is the way that you can interact in a situation. That is when you have integrated the the diversity around you within you. Yes. And then you're functioning at a totally different level. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So do this. Do this scared because you will be scared. It is scary to do anything that's beyond our comfort zones. But exactly how you what you described it is like, yeah, imagine that leader in your mind, a person yeah. with that depth of experience and they can lead at these high levels and and they're comfortable within themselves. Yep. You become more comfortable, I think, yeah, with yourself totally. when you learn to integrate. Very much so. The opposite is also true. The more that you resist it, you think it's like, well, that these are threats to my own sense of self mm. and safety. It's actually, yeah, but that makes you more scared the more you live that way. So, mm. yeah. Yes. So thanks for listening. And later this week, we're going to have a bonus episode on how you can have the same group of people and very different thinking between what we're calling the hunters, the farmers, and the teamers. Make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss anything. But for now, my friends, let's end with a little gut check. Just checking in with how we have defined diversity. What are the categories we have put on it and which ones might be missing? May we explore the possibilities of integration with the thing we are missing or have dismissed, or avoided, or have felt uncomfortable about. Acknowledge that feeling, honor it, ask questions about it, 
and then proceed to explore. Grace and growth, my friends.